Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Back in 2015, when I was a new mom with a three-year-old and a one-year-old, my friend Nora recommended that I watch a kid's movie, even though my kids weren't yet old enough to watch it with me. If you haven't seen Inside Out, now's a great time to check it out. It's the story of a girl named Riley, who is uprooted from her life in the Midwest when her father gets a job in San Francisco. But the real story is about Riley's emotions, joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness, who are personified and the highly entertaining characters we see inside Riley's head. Nora didn't just recommend this movie to me because it's entertaining, though it is, or because I'm a Midwest girl who moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. She recommended it because at the time, I was struggling with depression, going through a time in my life that was heavy with sadness and despair. Last night, I attended a Zoom mental health conversation with Dr. Chuck DeGroat, and the movie Inside Out came up a lot. Chuck is a licensed therapist, author, and a professor at the Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan, as well as the co-founder of the New Begin House of Studies in San Francisco. I found him to be thoughtful, approachable, and wise, and with his permission, I'm going to share with you some of our conversation. One of the reasons I started this podcast was because I knew I needed something to keep me focused during this time so I wouldn't slip into depression. But as Chuck talked, I realized that long before COVID-19, I've been carrying a deep anxiety that I hadn't paid much attention to. A few years ago, my dentist told me that I needed to sleep with a mouth guard because I was grinding my teeth. My massage therapist friend, Amalia, pointed out to me that I was carrying tension in my shoulders and chest which often makes my hands and arms go numb. This past week, I've been having a lot of trouble sleeping. Chuck reminded me last night of a truth I've been trying to ignore. We've never seen anything like this before. No matter where we are, our lives have changed profoundly. We need to take this on with a deadly seriousness. Chuck talked about a cycle that many of us experienced this past week. When we got the news about shelter in place, we got a big rush of adrenaline. We were ready to conquer this thing, to figure it out. Then came the crash, where we felt numb, powerless, and maybe even hopeless. Normally, we can draw from past experiences in our life to address our current situation. But even for those of us who have lived through fires or earthquakes or wars, what we're going through now together in our world is new. We don't have a map for this time. There's a feeling of powerlessness that I've felt this past week and that I hear a lot in the conversations I'm having right now about the virus, of course, but also about our daily lives, about the domino effect of this time on our economy. That powerlessness adds to our anxiety. Chuck says to picture your heart as a big living room where there are all these different parts of yourself. There's anxiety, there's rage, there's joy, there's sadness. Chuck says that paradoxically, one of the best things you can do for those feelings is to give them attention, to think of them like characters and inside out and say, you're all welcome here. Tell me, what do you want? What do you long for? Draw a picture of your anxiety. Ask yourself what color it is. Journal about it. 
What character from a novel or movie is your anxiety most like? All of these things help to make you feel a little more in control. They might draw you toward a picture or a poem or a song. They might even prompt you to create something. He said to think of your anxiety like a child who refuses to be comforted. Sometimes it helps to just say, I see you. I'm going to sit here with you until you let me know what you want. I know the COVID monster is really scary, but it's going to be okay. He said it's helpful to pay attention to the places in your body where you feel anxiety or pain. Call attention to your tense jaw or your racing pulse or the tightness in your chest. We need to learn as humans to do what animals in the wild do naturally when they experience trauma. Shake it out. One intensely practical way to do this is to breathe. Breathe in for four counts, hold for four, and then breathe out for eight. It might help to hold a pillow to be present to what's going on in your body. Do this for a few minutes every time you feel like you're falling apart, or before you get on the phone, or go into a meeting, or get ready to teach your kids. You can also use apps like iBreathe, Headspace, and Calm. I find all these tips to be helpful, especially right now. But the most interesting part of our conversation last night wasn't about anxiety. It was about lament. Chuck says that we often want to go past sadness to hope as quickly as possible. But that kind of hope is a shallow one. I think we're especially guilty of this in the West. We'd rather not think about death. And most of us have grown numb to the tragedies of our world. But Chuck says that the paradox of lament is that being brutally honest about what's going on and leaning into that pain can actually help us find our way toward real healing. Anyone who's been through therapy knows this. It's awful to name the things that hurt in your life. But when we finally face them, we see that we've been trying to control our pain and keep it stuffed inside. Finally letting that go can be a huge relief. Here in the San Francisco Bay Area, we've got the largest population in the country of people who don't believe in God, 21%. But at a time when our world is experiencing a crisis of biblical proportions, I think it's helpful to look at the Hebrew Bible, which is full of stories of exile and wilderness and, yes, lament. There's a whole book called Lamentations. More than two-thirds of the poetry in the book of Psalms are laments. Chuck noted that the Psalms are a picture of maturity. They hold the tension of both deep sadness and profound joy. They are brutally honest and acknowledge a lack of control. Almost always, these lamentations find their way to hope. This morning, I took one of Chuck's suggestions and started my day not by looking at the news or going on social media, but by opening my journal. At the top of the page, I wrote sadness. I let myself sit with that word for a long time. Then I wrote down everything I could think of that made me sad right now. In the span of a few minutes, I had two pages filled. I'm sad that I can't see my friends and extended family in person right now. I'm sad that our family had to cancel our road trip this weekend down to Joshua Tree, something we were all looking forward to. I'm sad that so many people in my city are homeless. I'm sad that even before this pandemic, there were tens of thousands of people facing extreme violence, disease, and unimaginable trauma at our southern border, 
and all around the world in refugee camps. I'm sad that there are still nearly 25 million slaves in our world, that human trafficking is still alive and well. I'm sad that though our country possesses the wealth to end global hunger, the wealth gap is larger than it's ever been before. I'm sad that we have not been good stewards of our world. I'm sad that Christians in my own faith tradition have done so much harm throughout history. It was heavy to sit with those things. I resisted the urge to find counterpoints to each of them, to rush toward optimism. Even speaking them aloud, I feel that sadness in my chest, in the place between my shoulder blades, in the uptick of my pulse. But it helps. Chuck says that the key is to not give in to shallow optimism or fatalism. There's something about being brutally honest about how bad things are that forces me to be present to the people and opportunities in front of me right now. Instead of obsessing over the possible losses of the future or regrets of the past, it brings me back to the wilderness I'm in now. It reveals to me that I really love control. I'm maybe even a little bit addicted to it. It forces me to dig deep, to press through the lament, even if I can't yet see the hope on the other side. I want to close today's episode by letting you know about my friend Jerry Canberra's online course in mindfulness-based stress reduction. Jerry and his team at Imagine Mindfulness have decided to fight greed and hoarding with extreme generosity. They've reduced registration for their April 1st session to just $50. And if you're someone who's lost your income and are experiencing financial hardship, let them know and they'll waive the registration fee completely. You can sign up for the class at imaginemindfulness.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe to the show. Finally, thanks to all of you who ordered wine after hearing episode two last week, Shelter in Place has its first sponsorship. When you order from Brick and Mortar or Delta Wines and use the code SHELTER, you'll receive 10% off, and a percentage of that purchase goes towards supporting this podcast. You can do that at winesforchange.com or brickandmortarwines.com. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.